Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett, and on today's episode, we have Mr. Dominic Rinaldi joining us all the way from the United States, who is an expert when it comes to mergers and acquisitions. Having done tons of these in his life, he is an absolute gun when it comes to buying and selling businesses. And in this episode, if you've ever thought about buying or selling your business or a business, we look at the pros, the cons, what to look out for, what are the hidden pitfalls that most people don't know about, and we find out exactly how to do it and how to make sure that you get paid what you're worth. If you go to sell your company or you're going to buy a company that's worth its actual salt if you're going to purchase one. Now, of course, if we can help you grow your company with effective marketing, just head over to www.marketingmobile.com.au We're there to help you guys get phenomenal results. But without further ado, let's jump into the show. Dominic, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time. Hey, Kim, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Now, I always like to ask the same question at the start of a podcast, which is if you and I met out at a party and we're chatting and I said, Dominic, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? Well, so my fun answer is I help people realize a dream. We help people buy and sell businesses. But at the human level, it's really helping somebody realize a dream. So an owner of a business that's worked that business for 10, 20, 30 years, and they can sell it and and realize, you know, all of that life's hard work and go off and do the next thing or retire. And then on the other side, somebody's coming in and buying that business and realizing a dream, maybe for the first time of owning a business, or maybe it's somebody who owns a company and they're growing through acquisition. So the human level, it's really helping people realize a dream. I love that. And what uh, do you have a favorite? If someone's going to buy a business or if someone's going to sell a business, is there one for you which is a little bit more exciting, or are they both kind of equally as fun as the other? No, they they are. They're they're equally fun. I mean, it 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 holds true in every transaction, regardless of who we're helping, the buyer or the seller. It's just nice to see people, you know, when they can get a good transaction done and it's the right business for them. It's it's very rewarding. Awesome, I absolutely love that. And when people are going out there. Because I think sometimes people hear about buying a business and maybe they've only heard about people that can buy, maybe buying into a franchise or something like that. What are what are some of the different types of businesses that people can buy? Just so in case someone's out there going, well, you know, I've heard of buying maybe like, yeah, like a franchise or a license for a certain type of business. But what are the, some of the key aspects that you look at for assessing businesses for, for your clients? Yeah, look, so, you know... I- I uh, I like to say that uh, there's an ass for every seat. I mean, there literally is. I mean, you you can think of a business, it's potential that that business could be for sale. But I do have some things that I, uh, some ways that I try to steer people that I think are really important. So for example, one of the things that I'll talk to people about is if they're looking at a business that's going to have to compete with big tech, I get a little worried. Like if you're going to have to compete with Amazon or Google, you better really be ready for that battle. And so I get worried, especially if it's first time acquisition, I tend to steer people away from things like that. The other thing that I look at is, you know, is somebody, uh, is the business that they're looking at acquiring potentially, could that be offshored? So could they take that service and bring it over to China or Malaysia or Vietnam or India 
and do it at a at a cost that you just can't compete with. And so if that's a future prospect for that business, you really need to think twice about it. And I've got a laundry list of things that I'll, I'll go through with people, but I always bring it back to what is it that's going to float your boat? You know, what, what are the things that excite you? What do you like to do? Where's your passion? And once you can figure out all of that, then we can start to narrow down what sorts of businesses you should be looking at, industries and sectors. I think that's one of the most important points there, as you mentioned, depending on obviously what people are getting into business for. Are they just getting in to make some money or this is something that they actually want to operate and run? You've got to look at what excites them, what keeps them going and whatnot. Like my partner at the moment is looking at, she owns the language school and she's looking at then taking over a, a cafe, which is downstairs. And for me, I'm like, Oh, this sounds like a whole bunch of hard work. I really don't want to look at anything like that. But for her, she's like, well, I want to bring the students down. I want to give them something exciting to do after and in between classes. And that's really what her passion is, is getting people to enjoy, to teach us Spanish, Italian and French and enjoying the languages and obviously food and coffee and, and interactions like that are a part of it. So then I was like, oh, look, it makes sense because she because she's passionate and likes it. And it's like, for me, looking at it, if I was just an investor, I'd be like, mm, I, I probably wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. You didn't ask me for my opinion, but on the surface, I, I that reasoning makes sense. But unless your partner has experience in that business, if not, hopefully they can get somebody to run that day in and day out. Because if the expertise isn't there, even though that marriage sounds nice between those two businesses, it still has to operate day in and day out. And if you don't know how to operate it, you better have somebody that can. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's, I was going to ask her to sneakily do that so I can send it to her so that she doesn't hear it just from me. But one of the big ones that when I was looking at it, I was like, yeah, surely. I was like, because I'm not going to be in there. I'm not going to be a barista making coffee and, and neither is she. So you need someone who's got that experience to be able to come in there, which means then you've got immediately that extra you know, staffing cost to bring on that person straight away. So definitely one of the things to be aware of. Now, yeah. um, if, we, if we turn to the flip side and maybe someone who's looking at potentially going and selling a business, what are some of the big key things that people should look out for and really think about implementing into their business to make it more saleable? Because sometimes people might go, oh, look, maybe I've, I've this business has run its course and I'm kind of done with it, but they haven't got certain things in place because I know that the more the systems, processes and things like that you have in place, most of the time it should hopefully increase the value of the company if you are looking to sell it. But what are some of the things that you see that either add value or, or detract a lot of value when people go to sell? Yeah, so it's a great question. I'm, I'm going to take it up a level if you don't mind because if people who own businesses are listening to this, when I consult with those folks, I ask them to look at uh, three legs of a stool. And the first leg being, are you personally financially ready to actually you know, go down the path of thinking about a sale? So is your estate in order? Do you have all the things in place? You know how much money you need in order to go do the next thing? The next thing might be buying another business or retiring. The second piece is what I'm going to come back to and talk about, which is, is the business ready to be sold? Have you done all you can to maximize value? And I want to come back to that. But then the third thing is, are you personally ready to actually exit the business? And this one is really important because a lot of people get to that point and they realize, oh my goodness, what am I going to do next? And they really aren't ready to move on. And so those three legs of the stool are important to think about as you formulate an exit plan. But going back to the things that people can do while they're running a business, there's things called value drivers. And these are the things that buyers covet and that can really increase the value of your business. So for example, things like how much as the owner are you of that business? 
business? Are you driving a lot of what happens in that business or is your business self-managing? And obviously the more self-managing the business, the less reliant the business is on you, the higher the value. And so that's a really key thing. And so if you're running a business today and it's not self-managing, you should be doing everything you can to have that business self-managing for lots of reasons, but mostly because it'll it'll drive value up. Recurring revenue. Recurring revenue is a really big piece of driving value up. The more that you can introduce and implement recurring revenue into your business, the higher the value your business is going to be. And when we analyze businesses, I mean, there's just two examples, Kim, but there are probably 10 to 12, depending on the type of business that you run, that we'll consult with you on to see how you score against each of those and where the opportunities are to, to grow value and prepare your business. I love that. I think that's so, it's such a big one, which is the, you know, how big a part you are of the business, because there's so many businesses that you see out there and it's like, yeah, you know, someone goes away, you know, the owner goes away for a week or a, a month on holiday and comes back. And it's like literally the, you know, the walls are falling down, the roof's caved in, everything has to be kind of rebuilt. Now, is there, obviously that's a really big one and a really important one, but is there anything else that you see when you look at a business and you're like, immediately you go like, this is going to drop the value of the company straight away. Obviously that one with the business owner being the big part of the company, but is there anything else on top of that one where you go, if something is, this is happening, it just drops that that valuation straight away. Yeah, there are a number of things. One would be client concentration. So does any one or two clients represent more than 10, 20, 30% of the business? The more that your revenues are consolidated into a handful of clients, the higher the risk for a buyer. And so especially if the owner has a lot of those relationships themselves. Now a buyer is thinking, oh my goodness, so much of the revenue is tied to just this handful of clients and the owner has the relationships, lots of risk. It's not that a business like that can't be sold, but it's going to be sold at a lower value. And there might be deal structures that are implemented so that the buyer has some risk mitigation so that if if things go bad, they can recalibrate the purchase price of the business. So I, I see that a lot. Not maintaining proper financials is another big one. Sometimes people can treat their businesses as their personal piggy banks. And when you do that, you actually diminish the value of the business for lots of reasons. One, buyers tend to not get total comfort that, you know, some of the things that you've done personally really are personal. There's, there's, you know, there's a blurry line between what's personal expenses that are going through the business and what's really business. But that buyer eventually, if they're really interested in the business, is going to have to take it to the bank and show the bank the financials. If the bank can't get comfortable, then the buyer can't get a loan. And if the buyer can't get a loan, it's going to be really hard to sell that business. That makes a lot of sense. And in saying that, have you have you seen anyone go out there with those sorts of things? What's the level of impact that that has? Like if you were like, is it that it drops your potential valuation by like 20% of what it could be? Or just so the guys out there realize, because some people might be like, oh, obviously, you know, Dominic said it's bad. But when you're comparing it to the value that you could get, what's the difference if, for example, those things are not in play versus when they are in play? 
for the total? So like, I, I know it's hard to ask. As you can imagine, it's a spectrum, right? Mm. It's it, it's it's everything from it might drop value by 10, 20%. It might mean that the seller has to provide more of a, a seller note in the deal structure. And for folks who are listening and don't understand that, if, you, if a business sells for a million dollars, a portion of that sale might come in future payments to the seller in the form of a seller note. Well, maybe that seller note is was going to be 50,000 of the million and now it has to be 100,000 or 200,000 because there's so little comfort. It could also lead to something like an earnout where there's so little comfort in the actual financials that future payments will only be given if certain metrics are actually achieved. And if those metrics are not achieved, there's no payments at all. And so that's probably, you know, on the other, uh, you know, on the spectrum, that's probably, you know, the opposite end where it's, you know, you could potentially wind up with very little and nobody wants to sell their business, leaving it in the hands of the buyer to run it and hopefully pay them in the future. And if you don't want that to happen, run a clean business that can be bank financeable. And for people that are out there going, well, maybe this is, maybe they've been considering selling a business. What's the difference between trying to go out there and just do it yourself or bringing in an expert such as yourself who's worked with you know tons of people over the years and, and help them get phenomenal results? What's the pitfalls of you know trying to do something like that yourself versus bringing in an expert? Yeah. And I wish I had a couple of my ex-clients here with me right now to answer this question who actually tried to sell the business on their own because they had somebody they knew or there was somebody in the industry. You know, one of my poster examples of this case studies is I worked with a pharmacy group a long time ago for 11 months, they tried to sell the business on their own to a group that they knew, but they didn't know the process. They didn't understand the pitfalls and 11 months and lots of legal bills and no sale came to us. We took the business out to market. We knew exactly who that business should be shopped to confidentially. And we created a market for them. We delivered six offers. We got them a purchase price that was 25% over what they were hoping to get in that previous transaction. And they walked away with the majority of the pro sale proceeds in their pocket at the closing table. And so there's an example of, you know, folks like us who do this day in and day out, we know where the value is derived, how to create a market, how to protect our clients' interests. And it's Kim, not always just about the purchase price. There are so many hidden things in a transaction, you know, the 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 small print in the contracts where things can happen post-sale. There can be clawbacks. We understand all of those things and we understand how to protect our clients. So it's not just about purchase price. It's about everything that goes into the sale all the terms and conditions. I can only wholeheartedly agree. Having only seen a couple of like buy and sell contracts of businesses before and trying to read through them all. And it's like, there's so many things in the fine print, as you say. And, you know, even things like where sometimes I've seen people where they were selling a business, but they wanted to go in and eventually do something similar again. But then there's a whole big, you know, um, non-compete clause or something like that in there. And then it's like, well, you know, their, their goals, what they were going to do for the next five years of their life, 
had to take a big back seat because they signed off on a, on a contract without having someone in their corner to fully understand what it was. And they're like, oh yeah, cool, I sold my business. But now what I was planning to do, I can't do because I signed this and what I wanted to do was going to be in a, this, a, yeah. the same similar field and they couldn't do it. So, And that's a great example you bring up, non-competes. I mean, it seems kind of benign, but if not written properly, you could have handcuffs on you for things that have nothing to do with the business that you were selling. But all of a sudden you have these handcuffs on you that you should never have agreed to. So I think it's a great example. And that's why I think it's so good to get help. If you're going to do something like this, if you're going to make a big monumental shift in either selling or buying a completely new company, it's worth it to have someone in your corner that's done it before. Because it's just, there are so many little nuances which can have a, a huge effect, you know, a couple of years down the track and you might not know. And then suddenly you look to do something and say, oh, well, sorry, you didn't read uh, clause 97A right there. And that's where you get stitched up. So uh, right. I, I think that's that's so important. And obviously we talked about a few of the pitfalls, but what about, like, what are some of the, the really cool outcomes that you've seen with some of the clients, whether they be buying or selling? You mentioned one there who got, you know, 25% of what they're looking for. What about someone who's looking to, if someone's on the other side looking to buy a new business, what are some of the cool success stories or things that you've been able to help some of your clients do and achieve over the years? You know, uh, we have so many. I mean, we're, we're closing. We've been around for 20 years and uh, we're closing in on our 400th transaction this year. We'll eclipse that in 2020, which is, you know, it's so exciting for us. So we've had so many examples. Some recent ones that I can think of is most recently, we helped somebody who was in the IT industry and had been in there, you know, a career long IT person, but had always sort of thought about owning their own business. And in fact, tried to start a couple of businesses while they were working in IT. And I think he described it to me, he tried to start three separate businesses and each one failed. And he finally decided, you know, I'm going to buy something that's already in place, that already has clients, that's got infrastructure, revenues and cash flows. And he also decided that he was going to come to folks who do this for a living and help them get it done. So he came to us, he retained us. And I think inside of five months, we found him a business and he closed on it. In It was an IT business and he closed on on it in probably two, three months ago. And he's actually just now in the middle of closing on his second business that he's going to merge into that business. Oh. And so what a great, what a great story. Love to hear that he's, he's realizing his dream and didn't take him long to start growing his empire. I love that. And as you say, because sometimes for people, it's like, it's very hard to start a business and get things up and running off the ground, especially if you're someone who's got the skills and you've got that, but you maybe you don't have the, I don't want to say the stick to it or like the, the drive, but it's like, it's very hard to get something from scratch growing. If you're someone who's a technician who isn't really good at then juggling all the pieces, managing and, and building up, it's very hard as, as you would know, even with your business. So I think that that's, it's a, a great, and as you mentioned, it's like just because you failed at starting a business doesn't mean you would fail at running a business. So there is that possibility of going, hey, why don't you take something that's already existing, which has team and people in place, and then you can just do your use your expertise to to consistently grow it over time. So um, absolutely, I think that's a great point. Odds are not stacked in your favor to start a business. I mean, the, the statistics are not favorable. I think uh, it's something like over fifty percent of startups fail inside of three years. If you take that out to five years, it's something close to ninety percent. So it's hard to start a business, and it, it, you know. 
sure, there's side hustles and things you can do that, you know, generate a little bit of income. But if you really want to run a business, starting one's a real business with infrastructure and scale, it's hard to start from scratch. I agree. So I think, you know, it's, it's good for anyone out there and just going, you know, just because maybe you've had a failure in, in starting one up doesn't mean that you would be a, a failure in potentially running one. So there's always uh, different, you know, uh, different ways to, to skin a cat, as they would say. Dominic, as we get towards the end of our time here together, I always like to ask a question, which is what's one question which I didn't ask you that I should have? You know, I think the one that people really need to think about is, you know, business ownership isn't for everybody. And so one of the questions that uh, I always appreciate people asking me is, you know, how do I know if I'm an entrepreneur? How do you, how do you know if you should really be running a business or not? You know, there are lots of tools out there to go discover that, but I think it's really important. Business ownership is not for everybody. I mean, Kim, you know, you know, day in and day out, the curveballs that come your way and the things that you have to react to and, and you know, all of a sudden the market could shift or COVID-19, you know, shuts down the world. It's not for the faint of heart. And so it's important to take an inventory of your skills, your risk tolerances and whether or not you think you can, you know, withstand tough times. But if you've got that dream of having personal and financial freedom, I don't think there's anything better than owning a business and growing a business. At least in the United States, it is probably the best way to achieve, you know, personal and financial freedom. And I have to agree with you there. There's some people that they come and speak to me and they, the obviously like it's, if you want that, that freedom, it's definitely one of the best ways to go, but it is definitely not for everyone. And that's, that is the big thing. Cause a lot of people hear it. They, they watch, uh, you know, Gary V for a year or something like that. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to start my own business. And it's like, well, look, it, it is not for everyone. Cause there are times where, you know, you've got to eat dirt. You've got to do the hard, like hard thing to have hard conversations, deal with hard times. And, you know, they always say you need, uh, you need broad shoulders or something like that. So you've got to carry a lot of stuff around. So it's not necessarily for everyone, especially in the starting phase as well. But uh, do you, you mind know, sometimes- if I share, Can I share a quick story yeah, please. on this? We recently had a, a client and I was suspect that this client really might not have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And look, I, I earn a fee when people buy and sell businesses. That's, you know, we're largely success-based. I was pretty transparent with this client early on. I told them straight up, I didn't think business ownership was for them. This was probably a year ago. Fast forward to today, they found a business, they negotiated on the business, they went into due diligence, but at every step, there was a questioning about whether or not, you know, this was right, or they should do that, or they didn't like this. Like it was, it was always looking at, you know, what was wrong and not the possibilities. And small business ownership, there isn't a perfect business. I've been doing this for a long time, decades, and I have yet to see a perfect business. But that's the great news. You don't want a perfect business. You want a business that you could grow to the next level. We just found out that this buyer lost the business. The seller essentially took it away from them and is not going to sell the business to them because they dragged it out so long. And I knew that maybe they did. We call it in the United States, we call it having a little cowboy. You need a little cowboy in you to be a business owner. And I just didn't see it. And sure enough, 
he was slowly killing the deal or trying to kill the deal, but was saving face by not, you know, saying, I don't want to do this. And finally, the seller took it away from him. And what is he left with? He's going to be left with some significant legal bills, some significant accounting bills, and nothing to show for it. So you really do have to be careful before you go down this path. And, and that's why you need experts like yourself in your corner, right? It's like, otherwise, it's like those things. It's, it's, it's going to be a nightmare. You have to have, make sure you want to do it and then have the right people around you. And now, uh, Dominic, for anyone that's listening to this or watching this and they go, cool, I want to find out more about what Dominic and his team are up to. Where's the best place to connect? I know you have your own podcast, which is specialized on this topic as well, which we'll link to in the show notes. And where's the best place for people to connect with you online? You know, I offer people my my email address, connect with me directly. It's uh, Dominic at K2Advisor.com. It's D-O-M-E-N-I-C at K2Advisor, K2A-D-V-I-S-E-R.com. Amazing. So guys, we'll link that. So wherever you're listening to this or watching this, check out in the show notes and we'll link up to Dominic's email, link up to his podcast as well so that you can find out more. If you're someone who's considering selling or buying a business, or maybe you also have a friend or a family member who's looking at that as well, please make sure to connect. Dominic's got a ton of really amazing tools to also assess your readiness and see if you're actually suitable and if you're ready and what, like how far away you would be from doing that. So we'll link to all of those, but make sure you share this episode with someone. If you know someone who's going to sell or buy a business in the near future, make sure that you share this with them so that they don't hit any of those pitfalls, which we've shared today. And hopefully they can be a success story rather than a, uh, a horror story. But Dominic, thank you again so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time. Hey, Kim, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, mate.